As theaters crawl to a comeback in the pandemic, a former Rockette is among those kicking their way back onto a live stage. Her name is Lillian Cologne, and she was Radio City Music Hall's first Latina Rockette. But the road to Radio City wasn't an easy one for Lillian. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Lillian Cologne is telling her story in a one-woman show at the Talia Theatre in Queens. But before the curtain rises on her next performance, she's talking with us on Cityscape. Lillian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much for inviting me. So you are in person and on stage. How does that feel after the year we've had? Magnificent. It really is wonderful. Never take I will never take it for granted again <laughs> of being on stage. That's for sure. Yeah. How tough has the last year been for you? Not too bad. I got to enjoy my daughter a lot. Um, we did, you know, nine 1,000 piece puzzles and I taught her how to cook before she took off to college. So it's been productive as well as uh, preparing for my show and learning the script and getting it ready. I wanted to do something that would, um, I would be ready for when I, when I, when it opened up. When did you realize I can actually do a show now? When did you start preparing for it? I started preparing to stream it live and then the theater opened up and, um, you know, with a small capacity. And so I was offered to do it, and I thought, nothing better than doing a live performance. And this show tells the story of an orphan from the Bronx who became the first Latina Rockette at Radio City Music Hall, and that, of course, is you. So how does an orphan in the Bronx become the first Latina Rockette at Radio City Music Hall? Well, by following her passion and um, and not taking no for an answer. <laughs> So I, I forged ahead every, with every obstacle that was in my way. <laughs> Take us back to your childhood. Were you born in the Bronx? I was. I was born in the Bronx to Puerto Rican parents. Um, and at three years old, my father decided to put me in the orphanage. And there I was. You had a pretty violent childhood. Your dad was a violent man, right? Oh, he did beat us a lot, but like most kids, a lot of kids got beat. So I didn't take that, you know, to heart too much. But um, yes, it was, the belt came out quite often. Yes. You use the belt in your performance now, don't you? I do. I do. It's all a healing process, um, as I've learned. I've just been healing along the way. How do you use the belt in your performance now? I use it to... um, to be able to throw away all the feelings that came with, um, with the belt. Uh-huh. Um, I, um, I throw everything into a garbage just to throw all the bad feelings away and be able to forge ahead and succeed as best I can. You were literally taken out of the arms of your mom and taken to an orphanage, a convent, right? Convent sounded better to me than orphanage for some reason. Yeah. Where was the convent? It was in the orphanage. There was uh, 22 Franciscan nuns that ran the orphanage, and it was the Lieutenant Joseph P. Kennedy Jr. Home for Children in the Bronx, in Pelham Parkway in the Bronx. Does it still stand? Is it still there? It is still there. It is um, it's a home for cerebral palsy children now. When's the last time you passed by? Hmm. I passed by um, a few years ago to deliver some uh, Christmas gifts to the kids, and, um, and then I, I don't go back too often. Um, it tends to be a little emotional. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask the question, what goes through your mind or what went through your mind the last time you were down in that area? Um, I just see myself running through the grounds and 
picturing all the things that happened while I was there. And, and I, I, it's sad that the nuns are not there anymore and that it's not a home for children to be able to uh, succeed more. But um, it really is an, a, a welcoming feeling. It's, it's a beautiful feeling, to tell you the truth. What about the nuns? Who sticks out to you and why? Uh, Mother Superior, more than anybody, because of her, um, although at first she didn't believe I would become a dancer and didn't want me to become a dancer, she, um, she did support me. So um, she is the most that sticks out in my mind. Of course, there are others that stick out in my mind, but for not the same reason, for a little bit, uh, a little bit more harsh reasons. How harsh did the nuns get? Pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah, they, um, some of them, one in particular was very mean and um, she was able to pick up anything that she could find and hit us a lot with it. But um, there was a singing nun, which I loved. And, and then there was Sister Bernadette that uh, she left the convent because she couldn't take it anymore, but she was beautiful. And when I, she showed up in her civilian clothes, she was just beautiful and she left a big mark on, on me. What would you say growing up there taught you most? It gave me the sense of um, spiritual, spirituality. It gave me the spirituality, which I loved, and which helped me ca carry that throughout my life. How many years did you spend there? 15 years. That's a long time. I thought that I wasn't going to be there that long. I thought for, for some reason that somebody was going to come and get me, but that never happened. So, <laughs> Did you ever reunite with your parents? No. No, I did see my mother when I, at one time, because I made a promise to my brother before he got killed in Vietnam to, uh, to see her. So I did go to Puerto Rico to see her and I did close her casket, but that was it. And it was only one time. What kinds of feelings do you have about that and about your parents? Hmm. Are you going to make me cry? <laughs> um, my, my mother, I felt that she never had a chance and I felt bad for her in that respect. Um, my father, I didn't, I had to stay tough with him because of what he had done and how mean he was to my brothers. Um, I just didn't, of course, he always told me he loved me and I was the one, but I, I didn't accept that too well because of my brothers. If you didn't love my brother, then you really don't love me. I, I didn't, I couldn't separate the two. So. Did you make good friends at the convent? Um, I never saw anybody once I left. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was, it was tough growing up there. I mean, we were all equals. There was no uh, difference between any one of us. There was no culture acceptance in the, in the orphanage. We were all raised by Catholic nuns and that was it. Um, there were friends that were there while I was there, but once I left, I was totally gone and that was the end of it. How much were you able to embrace your Puerto Rican heritage growing up there? Not at all. There was no, um, there was, I didn't even know it was Puerto Rican. <laughs> I was like, I'm Puerto Rican, really? My best friend uh, told me, you're Puerto Rican, Lil. I was like, okay, what's that? <laughs> um, so there wasn't any of that, but I, I knew I loved the music and I had, I had that hikomo, that, that rhythm inside me. So, and I love Spanish food. So I really, um, I found it when I, branched out of the orphanage. That's when I started to find it. And I wanted to speak the language and I wanted to be in, um, thrown into my own culture, but I did it myself. At what age did you realize you wanted to be a dancer? At 13. 
at 13, when Mother Superior came, uh, she hired a dance teacher from the High School of Performing Arts. And um, she, she, we had danced like once a month for a couple of years. And that first time that I was in that dance class, mm, that was it. I was hooked. What was it about dancing? I think the expression without having to say anything. There were no words. You could express yourself, whether you felt bad, whether you felt happy. It didn't matter what you felt. You can throw that into your dance and express yourself without ever saying a word. So how did you put yourself on the road to a dance career? So I went to the High School of Performing Arts and... Um, Oh, I knew I was going to go to Broadway. I was just determined. <laughs> that was it. So um, when I it, when I was a sophomore in high school, there was a writing on the a paper on the wall that um, said, you know, Puerto Ricans wanted for West Side Story. And my best friend, Freddie Prince, was like, Lil, you're Puerto Rican. I said, I am. He goes, come on, let's go to this audition. I said, okay, let's go. So we went and we both got it. And that was the start of learning what the culture was all about. And I loved it. I just loved that we did West Side Story at Lincoln Center. We did Bye Bye Birdie at Lincoln Center. And then, um, and then the, Mr. Cox, who was the director of the group, asked me to join the nightclub act. And then we did Chateau Madrid and the Corso. And I was getting a feel of all my Latin culture then. And, and I heard, learned how to sing the songs phonetically because I didn't know what the words were. Um, and then I just, there was no way I was going to turn down dance ever. It was, it was in my blood and I was going to go for it. Describe a bit more about that culture and what it was like for you to be immersed into that culture after growing up in a convent. Oh, well, you know, we backed up at the Chateau Madrid. We backed up Tito Puente and Celia Cruz. And just to hear that music every night, you know, two shows a night, you know, 12 o'clock at night doing the second show and, and all that. And, and they had Spanish food at the, at the club. So it was, it was, I love the food. I just love the food. And I love the feeling that I get inside with the culture. It, I could feel it's me. So coming from, from meat and potatoes, you know, Irish Catholic, which is what, kind of what I was at the time, um, I was like, wow, this is so different from, from what I lived through. So um, I just dove right in and, and it, it tried to grasp every bit of the culture that I could. I went to Mexico and I danced in Mexico for five years. And that really solidified everything. And when I came home, everybody was like, uh, you're a Puerto Rican that talks like a Mexican. I said, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it was still the same culture to me. Had you gone to see shows? Had you gone to Broadway while you were growing up at all? Um, there was one time that the orphanage uh, took everybody to see the South Pacific. But when I was on the bus, um, the girls kind of coaxed me into asking if, the, if they could smoke. So I went up to the counselor and I asked if we could smoke. And she went, what? That was it. They threw me off. So I never got to see the show. Everybody else went and I stayed home and I was uh, smoked a cigar underneath the blanket. <laughs> so that was a little harsh punishment I got, but I did it. <laughs> so I didn't get to see Broadway shows. They did Z100 or one of those radio shows. They took us to see Radio City Rockettes one time. And that's the first time that I ever saw something as spectacular as that. 
that was it. I was like, I'm going to see, I'm going to be the rocket. That's what I'm going to do. But that road, the road to rocket was long after that. How much did you do between that time and the Rockettes then? Sounds like quite a bit. Quite a bit. Yes, I did. No, no, Nanette. Um, and then I did, I did Sugar Babies. I did the Life Workshop with Cy Coleman and Joe Layton. Um, I did uh, a lot of um, summer stock in, in California. I did the Renaissance Fair. And then I went to Mexico City and uh, I danced with Olga Breeson in her movie. And I did Chorus Line in Spanish. And I did my own nightclub act. And, uh, and then I came back to New York. And then uh, the director of A Chorus Line in Mexico City called me and asked me to do the 10th anniversary show of the gala, the, the 10th anniversary gala show of A Chorus Line on Broadway. And I did that. And, um, and then I did Manu, though. <laughs> I loved Manu, though. He, they were like 12 years old at the time. Um, and, then, um, and then I did Sugar Babies. And then after that, I went into Rockets. Then I auditioned for Rockets. What would you say was your most memorable performance prior to joining the Rockettes? Mm. Well, I loved all the nightclub work because I loved the, the close contact. So that I loved. Um, Sugar Babies kind of got me to Rockettes because it, um, it had that same flair as Rockettes. But when I did The Life with Cy Coleman and uh, Joe Layton, that was pretty memorable because it was it was my, uh, it was a, a lead, it was a role, it wasn't a lead, but it was a role. And so then I got to talk. So that was kind of different than what I was used to. So that was pretty memorable. So what's the process like to becoming a Rockette? Uh, a lot of auditioning with a lot of girls. <laughs> so I went in with about 400 girls and uh, we, we did tap, jazz, ballet, kick line. And uh, I got um, Cheetah Rivera and Rockettes with Kenke. So I did that first and I went on the road with her and to work with her was, uh, that I have to say was a pretty much a highlight of my career as well, to be on the road six months with her and learning and watching her. I stood in the wings every night to watch her, to see what she had that, that would help me move my career forward. And, and then I came back to New York and I auditioned again for Rockettes and um, there's no easy feat here. You know, you have to really fight to get there. So um, again, I auditioned and I got down to the last four girls and I got the job. I got the hey. job. <laughs> <laughs> How well do you remember that day? Oh, so well. So well, I remember the girls that were with me that day, the four of us that, got, that were left. And we were like, oh my, is it going to be one of us? Who's it going to be? And, and it turned out to be all four of us. And, and to this day, those, uh, those four girls are like my best friends. I get the sense that when you're a Rockette, it can be grueling, the training. Talk to me about all of that. Oh, the training is, is amazing. You're dancing all day long. You better love to dance. That's the only thing. You better have that passion. So we do train about eight hours a day. And when we go into tech rehearsals, we train... Uh, 10 out of 12 hours a day. And we do, we, and when I was on the line, we did up to six shows a day. So it was grueling. It was a grueling process, but if you love it, it doesn't matter. How do you prepare your legs for that kind of work? Stretching mostly, uh, a lot of stretching. The more you stretch, the better it is for your legs. Of course, I always take dance class. I've always studied um, constantly, so, um, so make sure that I was strong for when I was when I went in to prepare for the show. 
here's a silly question. Do your legs need to be a certain length? Do you need to be a certain height? Yes, we are five, five and a half to five, nine and a half. And the legs don't have to be a certain length, but they do have to be, a, you know, shapely. And every, everybody that auditions has beautiful legs. So not a problem in this city. What year was that, Lillian, when you were picked to be a Rockette? I joined the Ken Ken Tour with Gina Rivera and the Rockettes in 1987. And I opened in New York City in 1990. And I danced until 2002. That's a pretty long time, kicking those legs. Yes, it, it was great. We did 300, about 300 kicks a show. And I, I just loved it. I just loved every minute of it. I really did. And I think that that's the way that you, uh, you get through that job, <laughs> is by having the passion. I know, of course, the Christmas Spectacular. What other shows did you do besides the Christmas Spectacular? I know there are other shows, right? We did the Easter show at the time. They don't have the Easter show now, but we did the Easter show. Um, and we also toured around the country. We did six, I did the 60th anniversary tour show. Um, of course, we did all television. We did you know, NBC constantly. Uh, the lighting of the Christmas tree, of course, the, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. So it, it, we did cruise ships. So it, uh, it was a wonderful job. It really was. What part of the Christmas Spectacular did you like to perform the most? Hmm. Let me see. Of course, the Wooden Soldier. Our iconic, our iconic dance is the Wooden Soldier. So I love the Wooden Soldier. And the opening number is always fascinating because it's the first time you're out there on that stage. So that number is always wonderful. We, there was an Easter show number that we did a tap number, which was Happy Feet. And to tap on that stage is, uh, is iconic. How does the Radio City stage compare to other stages, would you say? There is no other stage like the Radio City stage. It's the hardest stage surface-wise. Um, there are uh, obstacles on the stage. Um, but the magnificentness of the stage is the three elevators that we have that go up and down. And, um, and it's, you're, you're like a four block radius. <laughs> you can be on 15th street one time and 51st on the other. So it's big. There's no other stage like it. Now, as we mentioned, you are the first Latina Rockette at Radio City Music Hall. Did you realize that at the time? No, I didn't. I didn't realize that at all. Um, I, I never spoke about my life and how it was for some reason. I don't know, no one ever asked me, so I never spoke about it. And um, I just thought that, wow, and when it did happen, Javier Gomez was the one who, um, who found me and, and wrote it up in the paper um, at a time when they weren't allowed in the building. And, uh, and that's when it blew up. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the first Latina Rockettes. That's like, it was, it was kind of strange coming from meat and potatoes, you know? <laughs> And uh, that part's taken away from me and, and, and now, the, now given back to me, which was so fulfilling for me. What does it mean to you to be the first Latina Rockette? For me, if, um, first of all, to find my culture and to finally identify with who I am, really. Uh, but to open doors for other Latinos, but not just Latinos, everybody who can, can realize that they have a dream and would like to fulfill this one, especially, um, there's hope. And um, if you work hard, and if you find the passion, um, I think that all doors can open if you really work hard. But that, 
that takes a lot of work and it's not just one day or one year or 10 years. It's a, it's a full journey. So we, uh, I think to open the doors for everybody to let them realize that they can do it too has been um, quite a, a dream for me to be able to fulfill. As the first Latina Rockette, let me ask you this question. Do you think the dance industry is diverse enough or is there more that needs to be done there? We're getting there, I think, uh, with, with Hamilton and, and with uh, all the shows that, that we're getting a lot of culture now into, um, in, onto Broadway. Um, I think people are starting to recognize it more. At, at my, in my time when I was dancing, you know, it was Cheetah Rivera. It, wasn't, it was Rita Moreno. It wasn't that many people. There was, you know, Debbie Allen was there as well. Um, but we have to train. And that's the most important thing. If you train, you can do it. You know, you're always too, too short, too tall, too fat, too skinny, too white, too black. You're always too something. So, uh, but if you keep pushing and fighting and being the best that you can be, I think we can open doors. And so that's why I, I tell the story to be able to offer um, jobs to Latinas um, and anybody really, because anybody can, can do my show. Um, and I hope that that door can open up so that um, we can have stories on Broadway that would allow for um, the culture to come into more onto Broadway. When did you decide that you wanted to tell your own story on stage? When I left Rockettes, I thought, well, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? Um, so I've, I kept hearing, you know, you have to tell your story, Lil. Um, I was like, I do. Uh, this story is not very easy to tell sometimes, um, but I, I feel that if, um, if I put myself aside and tell the story that uh, maybe, maybe somebody will listen. <laughs> so when you go on stage, you try to separate yourself? Are you now the actor playing someone else, would you say? So that's why I named her Lily. Well, I was called Lily before I left for the orphanage. Once I got to the orphanage, I became Lillian. So um, now I tell the story of Lily. Yes, I have to put myself into every moment that I am on stage where I was at the time to be able to tell you the story. But I try to separate myself from Lily and let her tell the story so that I don't get too emotional <laughs> when I'm up there. You had said that you didn't talk about your story while you were a Rockette, while you were dancing even before that. What did people say when they heard your story or maybe came to your show for the first time and learned your story for the first time? My Rockette girlfriends are like, wow, we don't know the story, Lil. You've never told us this. I think um, I was kind of hidden in the background uh, when, when everybody's parents were coming to see the show and... I, nobody really asked me. It was, it's, you know, it's chaotic backstage as, as a Rockette. Every, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of stars. So um, nobody really noticed that not a, no, no family was coming to see me. So that's why now they say, when did, when did this happen? We never, never knew this. So I don't know why I never spoke of it. I have no idea. But now that I am speaking of it, it seems a little better that I never did speak of it. So... I don't know. <laughs> Does it get easier to grapple with that story the more you are on stage telling that story? Mm -hmm. It hasn't so far. <laughs> um, no, it, it's not getting 
easier, but um, I could feel behind the scenes that there's more healing from it. So the more I tell it, the more I feel that I will continue to heal from it and to find the forgiveness, which I didn't find that forgiveness before too much. So now with constantly telling it, I, I find more of the forgiveness for my father and what he did to dismantle the whole family. I was going to ask, every time you throw that belt in the garbage, does it sort of allow you to sort of get rid of some of that darkness in yourself? Yes, it, it does. When I throw everything into the garbage, it, it helps me to forgive Sister Mary Concepcion for all those beatings. And, 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 I, and, I, and I, I'm trying to forgive my father for everything that he had done. I, I feel okay about things now because um, I've become more successful in my life. So it didn't matter, but I, I feel I have a, a sorrow for him not being able to have seen what he could have had. So, but that's, that's, not, that's not on me. But um, I hope that I can continue to find the forgiveness for him and for anybody else that has, um, has been slightly mean. <laughs> when you're on stage as a rock cat, how many other women are up there with you at one time? 35 more chicas. So it's uh, 35. 35 chicas next to me. And um, it's really a camaraderie with, the, with all of us. We're we're very close to each other still. But in this show, there's only one chica, right? I know, only one chica. And sometimes I'm like, okay, where are my other chica friends? <laughs> it, feel, it felt empty at first when I first started doing it. I was like, oh, I wish they were here. You never know how much support you have until, until they're gone. And, uh, but it's just me on this one. But they've asked me, Lil, can we come and do your show with you? Can we come and play a nun? I said, ah, maybe one day we can expand this. Of course, I have it all in my mind how I want to expand it. And uh, one day I'm going to have a whole line of chicas next to me, all Latino style. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Talk to me more about this theater that you're performing in now. The Talia Theater in, on Greenpoint Avenue in um, Sunnyside, Queens. It's a small, intimate theater. It's um, about, oh, I don't know, the hundredth of the size of Radio City. But it's beautiful. It's cozy. It's warm. Um, it's, there's a good feeling there. Um, I feel a sense of community. Um, the Latin community is so embracing to my story. So um, I do feel like I have a home there and I feel very comfortable. You mentioned your daughter. So just the one daughter? Just one. And what does she think about mom's performance in this show and mom's story? She, um, she says, she keeps telling me, mom, you got this. You got this. You could do this. Um, she doesn't say anything to me about the story. Um, I do see a strength in her. So I'm hoping that she's grasping um, my strength and um, fulfilling her dreams. And I think she is. Um, I didn't think that she wanted to, uh, she doesn't want to be a dancer. That's for sure. She says, no, mommy, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch you. I said, okay. <laughs> so um, I, I think that the way she's living her life um, I believe that she's grasped some strength and um, forges ahead too. So, and that's what, what else can I give her? And what is your advice for young dancers today, aspiring young dancers? If you have this passion, don't stop. Forge ahead, fight hard, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> 
take it all in, study as hard as you can study, study everything, tap, jazz, ballet, vocals, everything. Be the best that you can be. Find that passion and really fight to, to build your dream. Don't give up. I mean, having parents and having people that help you are, is a nice thing on the cake, but um, know that even if you don't have that in life, you can still do it. Anybody can do it. Uh, there's no, um, there, there are many obstacles. There's always many obstacles and no matter what you do, but in the dance world, it's, it's not easy because there's a lot of dancers and not as many jobs. So, um, but you can be that one person that gets that one job and then your, your life, you will, you will feel successful. You will feel completed and, and have, a, have a wonderful life. Is there anything, Lillian, you would want to say to the young Lillian back at the convent? What would you say to her now? Don't worry. Don't worry. Keep going. Which is what I said at the time. You know, all right, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. I'll get out of here one day. One day I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to have that apartment in the sky. I'm going to overlook the GW Bridge one day. And um, I, if I, ke I kept that dream going and... Um, and it happened, and I was like, "Wow!" So I believe that if you if you really if you really want something, and don't let anything stop you, that you could do it. And I would I would tell her exactly what I always told her: keep going, Lil. Lillian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, George. I really appreciate you having me. Lillian Cologne's show at the Talia Theater in Queens runs through April 25th. More info at taliatheater.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Thanks so much for listening.